This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the OneTrust team for their support. With these relatively simple and easy techniques you are about to learn, you will find that we can powerfully train our everyday conscious minds to automatically move towards the more productive and resourceful states. This session's purpose is to allow you to release yourself from the chronic busyness of any excessive day-to-day thinking patterns so that you may positively benefit in all ways in mind, body and spirit. Perhaps you have found that sometimes your own thoughts can build up and up, perhaps sometimes so much that this continuous habit of thinking can become a worrying, stressful type of constant mind chatter. When this happens to us, it can feel as if we are becoming trapped or locked into some endless Today on the show, we're going to be talking about deep 
get into the satisfaction of solving a problem, of getting rid of all of the noise and the notifications and the pushing and pulling of our attention and how to start doing amazing work. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Belsito. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Welcome to the fourth episode of our productivity series. We're incredibly excited to be able to share this with you. Today, we're going to be talking about deep work and how to achieve it. So first, what is deep work? Deep work are professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive capabilities to their limit. These efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. This was a term coined by Cal Newport, who we'll hear from in just a bit from some of his TED Talks that he's done on the topic. Some examples of deep work? Studying, writing, making music, solving algorithmic problems or mathematical equations. So let's take a look at the contrast, shallow work. So shallow work is non-cognitively demanding logistical style tasks often performed while distracted. These efforts tend to not create much value in the world and are pretty easy to replicate. Shallow work contains scrolling through social media, doing easy problems, organizing data in Excel, or everyone's favorite, answering emails. And one of the reasons this is so important because it's not only about how productive we can be, but it's also how much happiness we can create for ourselves. Uh, There are studies that show that jobs are easier to enjoy than free time because we could get into this flow. We could get into this deep work, which is incredibly rewarding. At work, we have this ability to concentrate and lose ourselves. With free time, on the other hand, it's unstructured. It requires greater effort to be able to be shaped into something that could be truly enjoyed. Now, one of the most important times in our day is when we start, when we sit down intentionally to start working. And I know we all have this experience. We sit down, we're going to have the best day ever. We plan out exactly what we want to do. And then distraction starts. Meetings happen, notifications start streaming in, and we totally lose track of all the amazing work we were going to do that day. So what do other people do? How do other people handle this? Here's Natalie from Wildbit on how they purposely create their day each morning. They kind of sit down and they come up with what their time, what their day should look like. And they should be in control of their focus work time and they should be in control of their kind of easy work time, you know, things like checking email or posting a question or things like that. And so we use email as a way to effectively ask, usually for one or two people, a question that's not urgent, that allows them to respond to it when they're out of focus work. What about at the end of the day? You're finished, you close your laptop, shut down your computer, and turn your attention to other things. Here's Dr. Cal Newport from his TEDx talk on focused work and productivity. Quite productive. So I'm a professor at a research institution. I've written five books. I rarely work past 5 p.m. on the weekday. Part of the way I'm trying to able to pull that off is because it turns out if you treat your attention with respect, so you don't fragment it, 
you allow it to stay whole, you, you preserve your ability to concentrate. When it comes time to work, you can actually do one thing after another and do it with intensity. And intensity can be traded for time. It's surprising how much you can get done in an eight hour day if you're able to give each thing intense concentration after another. Something else I can report back from life without social media is that outside of work, things can be quite peaceful. So I often joke I'd be very comfortable being a 1930s farmer because if you look at my leisure time, I read newspaper while the sun comes up. I listen to baseball on the radio. I, honest to God, sit in a leather chair and read hardcover books at night after my kids go to bed. It sounds old fashioned, but I'll tell you, they were onto something back then. It's actually a restorative, very peaceful way to actually spend your time out of work. You don't have the constant hum of stimuli and the background hum of anxiety that comes along with that. And I think many of us feel that anxiety, and we almost just live with it naturally these days, with so many notifications, emails, social media, keeping up with the constant news cycle. All of this is incredibly anxiety-inducing, and it really holds back our ability to be productive, although many of us no longer realize how productive we were before this because it's been such a slow creep into our lives. Now let's look at the entire week, right? How does Natalie Nagel and her team at Wildbit, how do they plan their entire week to maximize productivity? Sure. So we have a rule, one of our kind of main values and our rules in our company is we only work 40 hours a week. So that means that, you know, Chris and I only work 40 hours and all those 40 hours have to be really focused on the work at hand. And that's the only way that kind of works. And so what we try. We, we, we've been trying to do is making sure that everybody is given those 40 hours as their own personal productivity time and to look at how we work together as a way of borrowing each other's time. So instead of taking for granted, working together and asking somebody a question and collaborating, we really try to focus and say like, anytime I bother somebody, I'm taking time away from them. So how do I really minimize that or be really thoughtful about the way in which we work together and collaborate as a team? So let's talk about social media for a second. It seems like social media has really fragmented our attention without really adding a ton of real value into our lives. Here's Dr. Newport again. That social media tools are designed to be addictive. The actual design desired use case of these tools is that you fragment your attention as much as possible throughout your waking hours. That's how these tools are designed to use. Well, we have a growing amount of research which tells us that if you spend large portions of your day in a state of fragmented attention. So large portions of your day where you're constantly breaking up your attention, take a quick glance, do a just check, let me just quickly look at Instagram, that this can permanently reduce your capacity for concentration. In other words, you could permanently reduce your capacity to do exactly the type of deep effort that we're finding to be more and more necessary in an increasingly competitive economy. So social media use is not harmless, it can actually have a significant negative impact on your ability to thrive in the economy. I am especially worried about this when we look at the younger generation coming up, which is the most saturated in this technology. If you lose your ability to sustain concentration, you're going to become less and less relevant to this economy. So there's relevance in the economy, and then there is the social economy itself. So what does the market value when it comes to social media? Produce something that's rare and is valuable, the market will value that. What the market dismisses for the most part, are activities that are easy to replicate and produce a small amount of value. Well, social media use is the epitome 
of an easy to replicate activity that does not directly produce a lot of value. It's something that any 16 year old with a smartphone can do. By definition, the market is not gonna give a lot of value to those behaviors. It's instead gonna reward the deep concentrated work required to build real skills and to apply those skills to produce things like a craftsman that are rare and that are valuable. To put it another way, if you can write an elegant algorithm, if you can write a legal brief that can change a case, if you can write a thousand words of prose, that's gonna fixate a reader right to the end. If you can look at a sea of ambiguous data and apply statistics and pull out insights that could transform a whole business strategy, if you can do these type of activities which require deep work that produce outcomes that are rare and valuable, people will find you. You will be able to write your own ticket. You will be able to build the foundation of a very meaningful and successful professional life, regardless of how many Instagram followers you have. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. So what is deep work? Deep work is the ability for us to focus without distraction on a cognitively demanding task. It's a skill that allows you to quickly master complicated information and produce better results in less time. That means we don't have to be working 60, 70 hours a week if our time is used with more intensity. Like Cal Newport said earlier in this episode, we can trade our intensity for time. Not planning in advance what you do when it's not going to show up in your schedule. So this is sort of the foundation on which deep work makes its way into knowledge work, working schedules. Now this is an example of the second technique I wanted to talk about. And no, you don't have to actually do algebra for this technique. This is an example of me applying the technique, which says even if you put aside time for deep work, it doesn't mean that you're actually going to get the right cognitive strain out of that period, right? Because our brains have evolved to be very conservative about energy expenditure. Deep work is fabulously energy intensive. If you just tell your mind, let's think hard about this, it'll find a way to avoid the hard things. It'll be like, well, this is kind of interesting. Well, what about this? No, 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 we, we gotta stop thinking about this as soon as you actually have to solve an equation, which happens often in your field, I'm sure. The solution that I have found works well is to have as the goal of every deep work session an artifact, a clearly defined outcome that forces your mind to tackle the hard things it doesn't want to. So I'm a theoretical computer scientist in my day job. That means most of my deep work sessions are aimed at proving theorems. The artifact I try to produce from each of these sessions is what I call a problem notes document. That's an example of one. It's a document where I force myself to take the technique I was trying and actually work through the mathematics, formalize it, and figure out exactly where the counterexample is or exactly where I get stuck. Now this is a terrible pain in the ass to do, and my mind would prefer not to do this. I'd prefer to say, this is probably not gonna work, let's try another technique. But because I have this artifact, it forces me to do that strain. I think I've had this happen several times while mixing down this episode even. Flipping back between the web and recording doing a bit of research, doing a bit of like reading. So how do we get this under control? And the best piece of advice I have about this from thinking and writing about focus for a while now is that you have to think about it like you would think about pull-ups. It's easy to understand what it is, but it's very hard to do a lot of it if you're not training. I've worked with students and graduate students and professors on this for quite a while the systematic training of your ability to focus. And that's why I'm showing you up here one of these filters like Leech Block that can help you turn off access to distracting websites. 
That's actually the mindset you need, like an athlete, to build your ability up the focus. I often tell people when they're working on this ability that adding 10 minutes to your amount of time you can focus after every 10 sessions is about the rate at which your ability can grow. If you start with 30 minute sessions, do 10 of those successfully before you go to 40, and then do 10 of those before you go to 50. That's about how slow it is to increase this ability to focus, but it's crucial to make this happen. Now, time is incredibly important, and so is location. So you should find a location for this focused, deep work time that's quiet and free from distraction, and ideally is the same each time. You're creating a purpose and a habit for yourself, so it's important to be consistent with this habit. So be it the library or a home office, try to be consistent with the location in which you're practicing deep work. And then you need rules, rules and laws to live by when you're practicing deep work. Some basics, no texting or using the phone, no internet, no email, no meetings, no chatting with others, and you must solve a problem or at least summarize a solution before taking a break. And lastly, and my favorite part, is you need some recharge or something that is going to give you energy. So this might be having a cup of coffee before starting. You may have scheduled breaks, or you might just have some snacks on hand so that you can stay focused while working. And that's it. So what are you waiting for? Go out and make your deep work plan and start practicing 30 minutes a day. I know it's not that easy, but you gotta try, right? So coming up on Rocket Ship, we have one last episode on productivity in this series. You're not going to want to miss it. It's on meetings. I know everyone's favorite topics. We're going to give you some tips on how to create and run better meetings. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe and leave us a review. Five stars. Just throw it up there. Can't hurt. If you want to listen to all of our back episodes, go to rocketship.fm or just browse through the feed where you're already listening to this podcast. We keep all the episodes there, all 250 plus episodes, interviews, and more content just like this that you've listened to today. Huge thanks to our sponsor today, Bench. Bench is the easiest way to get your bookkeeping done. Go to bench.co forward slash rocketship and get 20% off the first six months. That is quite the deal. If you want to follow us on Twitter, go to rocketship.fm. You can follow me at Michael Saka, Joel at Joel Goldman, and Mike Belsito at Belsito. All right, we'll be back here. We're going to be doing interviews on Tuesdays and full episodes on Thursdays. So stay tuned.